you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. This is your boy Rob Clark on the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode number 50. I cannot, for the life of me, believe that we are on number 50 already. And today, I have a very special guest for you. Um, He is the creator, owner of the Neopolis Media Group, and soon-to-be author of the hopefully going-to-be-published this year, Two Princes and a King book where he talks about John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, and Martin Luther King. I bring to you my new friend, Mr. Carmine Savastano. How you doing, Carmine? Good, Rob. How you doing? Good, sir. Glad to have you on the show, my friend. We've been talking on uh, Facebook for quite a while now, and uh, we've already had a hell of a roller coaster ride, haven't we? See, everybody that's not in my garrison group probably doesn't know this, but there was a guy who used to go by the name of Sal Astuccio, better known to some people or outed uh, to some people as Dave Sharp, who is a noted uh, nut job in the uh, research community. Yes, troll extraordinaire. Yeah, former proprietor of JFKMontreal.com. Uh, some of you might have heard from him from there. Uh, and <laughs> loves to call people Nazis and, and blame the Jews for everything. And he's a real peach. Yeah. <laughs> he's a real a- asshole. So I'm glad, I'm glad we outed him and, and, uh, 
you know, people like that just just need to go, you just go on somewhere. Because I'm tired of dealing with these frauds and these liars. And it's just a gigantic roadblock on the road to research. And what impressed me about you is you're a man after my own heart. You like to back up what you say with documents. And it's necessary, I think. Right. It, it, it negates that part of the argument before it even starts. That, uh, you know, the prove it or that's bullshit or, well, but, you know, before it even starts, you can say, well, look, here's the document. This is what we have to go on. This is, this is the evidence we have to go on. Now, whether you choose to buy into an official FBI document or CIA document, you know, of course, that's uh, everybody's own prerogative, but it's what we have to go on, and not much else. You know, because eyewitness testimony is not always reliable. You know. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think that a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that all the official evidence is altered, and that's not the case. And the reason is not because they would; they would, <laughs> they would have altered everything if they could. Because the FBI and the CIA redacted everything, even from the Warren Commission, the Commission never had all that. So the Commission never saw it. They couldn't alter it. So it was all hidden away. So now that it came out after the JFK Act, it's all in the open. And they can't... How long do you think it would take to go through tens of millions of pages of original documents and try to alter them without leaving a trace? (laughs) Exactly. And even though, at the time, Alan Dulles wasn't officially with the CIA... He had to be acting on their behalf as part of the Warren oh, yeah. Commission. You know, the well, old saying, I, once you're CIA, you're always CIA, you know? Exactly. You can leave the agency, the agency doesn't leave you. Exactly. One of the, one of the documents I have is actually an interview Dulles did with a CIA agent during the commission investigation where he was giving them advice on some of the questions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Speaking of documents... Um, when I first approached you about being on the show, I wanted to talk about some documents, um, and maybe we can focus on a few of them here today, and, but before we do that, um, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself in case they don't know who you are. I mean, if, if, if my target audience doesn't know who you are by now, then, then they've got a serious problem, but... Go ahead and let let the people that don't know and maybe are not on Facebook, but do listen to the show exactly you know who you are and maybe how you got interested in the case. Um, well, I, I don't expect a lot of people to know who I am. I'm just another foot soldier in the research movement. Uh, I got interested. Um, funny enough, when the first time I ever got interested in it, I was ten years old. I was going through my father's closet which I wasn't supposed to be in. And I found a stack of newspapers that he had saved from when he was a kid, when Kennedy had gotten assassinated. So I started looking at them, and I asked him about them, and we talked about them, and that was pretty much the end of it. Then when I was 14, I went and saw JFK. And I loved it, and I thought it was true, because I was 14. (laughs) And it's a movie. So, but I, throughout high school and, you know, into my younger adulthood, 
I was convinced that it was Oswald because that's what I was told. I was told that by my teachers. I was told that by people I talked to about it. There was no reason to doubt them because I had never looked at the evidence. Right. So eventually, uh, I got into the case about six years ago, and I put in pretty much uh, a significant amount of time every week for the past two years since I started writing. Uh, you know, this book. I did some writing before, but this is what I've decided to focus on. Um, so I got involved in the groups. You know, I watched for a while, and I noticed the sort of behavior that we talked about with Dave Sharp and others, such as Judith Baker and her minions. Yep. And I got tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all a big distraction and, and a gigantic roadblock to real research. Yeah, so I, you know, I've been doing research still, but I've actually put aside time just for finding people like them, outing them, and showing everyone why the evidence doesn't agree with anything they suspect. Right, and I've got nothing but respect for that because <clears throat> I did the same thing back when the Oswald Innocence Campaign was starting up, and they were pushing this Oswald in the doorway bullshit. Yeah. And people were buying into it left and right, left and right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I almost felt like an, <clears throat> excuse me, like an obligation to right the wrong and to set everybody straight and to say, look, these guys have got it wrong and here's why. Here's the evidence. Here's the, you know, the documents, the testimony, the, the, you know, the photographs to back it all up. You know, they can't back up a thing they say with anything but opinion. Yeah, no, and that's why they rely on insults, because they don't have evidence. They have to try to insult and degrade the person they're talking to, because they can't prove anything they're saying. And it's the same thing with JVB, it's the same thing with Ralph Sink, it's the same thing with Fetzer, it's the same thing with all of them. They just say insults, and they try to call you all manner of things like Dave Sharp and his stupid Nazi stuff, because they don't have evidence. You know, they have an idea, and they have some stuff to sell, and they want you to buy it. Right. And ah, they, and I mean, even, that's, that's it. That's basically it. They got some stuff they need to sell, and they don't care how to sell it, but you need to buy it. Exactly. Well, I got to say, mission accomplished with that dude, because when I first got on Facebook a couple of years ago, Ralph and Richard Hook and, and all these guys, the whole group of them were in all kinds of Facebook groups. I mean, all of them. Well, they still are. They're still out there pushing their stuff. Yeah, but they've been relegated... It's, They've been relegated to the nut job uh, groups because most of the respectable ones they're not in anymore. Uh, I mean, it, it, yeah, and I hope that it continues, and I plan on being a part of the movement to make it continue because exactly. we're done dealing with these people. You know, they've had they've had years to prove their myths, and they failed. So why are we wasting any more time on? Right, well, that's the conclusion I came to after two years of heavily blogging, you know, like 30 blog posts about it, and I did all I could do and put everything out there that I could put out there about it, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm done with this shit now, it's back back to task at hand, back to doing real research, you know, doing this. I hope I don't have too much longer, but, you know, if, if they keep mentioning me, I'm going to keep showing up, so my message to them is... Stop talking. <laughs> if you don't stop talking about me, I'm not going away. And the longer you talk, the more I'll reveal. 
So you're just going to hang yourself with your own rope. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know, these people, they just don't learn. I mean, you'd think by now that they would learn, but they don't learn. They just they keep will. doing what they're doing. <laughs> well, ho- hopefully you're right. Hopefully you're right. <laughs> well, at least learn to be quiet. <laughs> right. Or back up what they say with real evidence, and well, then we can have a conversation, <laughs> you know. Exactly. I'm, I'm all for them talking, but have some evidence if you're going to talk. Yeah. I think everyone, I, I said this in uh, the Venture group earlier, which is a great group for those who like total honesty and jokes. <laughs> right. I mean, it but, was, uh, yeah, I think it was uh, sorely needed in the in the uh, research community, a group like that, where just anything goes. Yeah. And and you know what, they you'll notice, too, that in, even in that group, there are people who use evidence, and there are people who use insults. <laughs> exactly. Or both. It, it doesn't <laughs> you know, it's like how can people not notice the pattern? They always say the same things over and over. My favorite from Baker is, "Read the book." What? Yeah. Why? How about just give us some evidence? This isn't a magic show. I don't want you to make it appear later after I give you my money. I want you to tell me something. I mean, I, I plan on having a book come out, but I. On my blog for free, which I tried to remind Dave about when he tried to charge me thirty nine ninety five for a stupid PDF. <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, yeah, exactly. Class. They call it. They call him the research kid. Oh my god. <laughs> so, or bluegrass Dave, if you've listened to his music. Yeah. Speak. Speaking of which, <laughs> I'm gonna try something here. Are you going to play us a sample from Blue I'm going to play us a, sh- a sample from Dave Sharp the, in the Dave Sharp 5 or whatever the hell this group's called here. <clears throat> and if for some reason this doesn't work and hangs up on you, don't panic. I will call you right back. That's fine. Dave and the Trolls coming up, guys. <laughs> yeah. Dave. <laughs> oh, my lordy. All right. Let's see if this works here. Because I, I actually had to bookmark this page just to make sure I didn't lose it again. Oh, don't worry. I've got it saved. Than the name of that CD, man. Rural Roots, come on, that's, that's Yeah, and that picture on the front looks like a, oh, damn, I'm having a brain fart. That guy that used to do the paintings with the big hair. Oh, I, I know exactly. Uh, Ross, maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what, his, that's what the cover of his album looks like. It looks like one of those paintings that that, that guy does, whips up in like five minutes. All right. <clears throat> Do you have a request, Carmine, or? Well, I, I was thinking that Born Under a Bad Sign was kind of funny. Right. <laughs> Considering Let, the topic. Let's see if we can get this here. Like I said, don't panic. If something happens, I'll call you right back. That's fine. Yep, not going to play. Wow. Anybody, uh, anybody who uh, knows somebody from Garrison, the link's in there, and I can post it if someone wants to see it somewhere else. Yeah, well, I'll post the link up to this to this little page. You can listen to every okay. song on the album uh, on, over on tlgpodcast.com. That's right, people. There is a new site that you can go for everything, the Lone Gummin Podcast. It's real simple. TLGpodcast.com. That's where all the new shows will be posted. And there's even a forum there. 
that we can talk about the episodes. You can comment on the episodes if you like. And it's just getting up and running, so it's not totally 100% complete yet, but it's cool. So check it out, tlgpodcast.com. That's where you can find the links to the uh, awesome Dave Sharp Country Blue Bass with crossover pop, rockabilly, and 60s rock. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey, Dave, you got a lot of congratulations. Oh, my gosh. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Alright, let's leave these fools behind, Carmine. And let's, good. let's move on to some real live documents. Now, some of the ones you sent me um, that we're going to talk about today, let me pull them up real quick here for quick reference. If I can find them. I have like 8,000 Google Gmail accounts. Here we go. All right, I guess we can start, if you like, with the first one, which is a CIA document that confirms that the CIA had no photographs of Oswald in Mexico City, despite the camera operations, phone taps, destroyed tapes, and penetration agents in the Soviet embassy, they failed to prove a thing. And before we get into talking about this, let me also mention that I'll post the links up to all these documents over at tlgpodcast.com with this show so you can go check them out for yourself with your own eyes. So tell us a little bit about this uh, first document here about Mexico City, Carmine. Well, this document is one of my favorites because often you'll hear the commission talk about how that Oswald, um, you know, they have proof of him going so much proof in Mexico City that look back, they don't. <laughs> if you actually check their evidence, which was denied, you have to understand, because Dulles and ultimately McCone decided not to share any of the internal files with them, they were denied anything from Mexico City that the CIA did not give them. Even Hoover had a hard time. Uh, when I was prior discussing it with Chuck Ocelli, he was telling me about how Hoover had a hard time getting oh, yeah. a hold of any of the CIA documents, too. Yeah, I remember so, seeing the Hoover, the Hoover document sorry, about no. wondering if, if the, you know, Oswald was in Mexico or traveling, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, they, the agency really tried to clamp down, just like the FBI, which was another problem for the commission. You know, these were the two investigating arms, and they basically hobbled themselves because they knew that it would implicate so many of their own plots. I think a lot of times people get confused because of uh, what you and I have, I'm sure, we probably discussed. Uh, we're able to cut down the commission timeline to 72 hours or less. Right. So, all the stuff before is not feasibly connected directly to the assassination. If Oswald can't know about it until the 19th, then he can't be planning for it in Mexico City. So that basically busts their whole prior case. Exactly. And then the old and, adage applies, you know, if, if you don't have photographs of it, it didn't happen, you know. And they don't just not have photographs. They don't have tapes. They don't have anything. Registration agents. <laughs> they don't have anything. <laughs> they well, have him coming into Mexico. Right. And maybe even getting to Mexico City, but never showing up in those two places. Right, and I know, I know people out there have seen the supposed Oswald in Mexico photographs, 
and I believe there is an audio tape alluded to, which I think Hoover says was not Oswald on the tape. Well, in one of the uh, spoken Spanish, which I will never speak. Right. And Winston pointed that out to the rest of the agency, and they didn't say anything. Right, and the photographs that they they were putting out as Oswald is obviously not Oswald. It looks like a Russian, <laughs> random Russian guy, what it looks like to me. Yeah, and the one that still did Durant's folks was a short blonde haired Russian, so that wasn't him either. Right. So apparently, now who knows? I mean, I I don't like speculating, but I will I will at least go with this. I think this is a, a, a feasible idea. Maybe Oswald was being used to be set up for something. Now, someone have known about this information later on, that's possible, but maybe he was just, you know, a dupe for some other intelligence program, and he just was convenient later on. Right, yeah, you know, you've heard the, uh, the whole supposed reason, the original reason that Oswald wanted to go to Mexico was so he could hijack uh, an airplane going into Cuba, and I guess somehow, yeah. you know, make his way back to Russia, because at the, at the beginning of 63, you know, he had Marina writing the Soviet consulate and asking to go back to Russia. And then somewhere around April or May, what was just Marina turned into Oswald and Marina wanting to go back to Russia. Yeah, they evolved. A right. lot of the stories with them evolved. Right. And I know... There was some chatter about exactly how to accomplish this because I guess it wasn't happening through official channels. Um, so he concocted this plan to supposedly hijack a, a, a Cuban airliner headed for Cuba. And I don't know what his plan was after that, but it was. I, I, I highly suspect that that was not his. That was just more misinformation thrown in. I've seen the I've seen the document or a document. It's probably more than one that talked about that, that Marina was confirming that, but Marina also confirmed the unproven Nixon story, Marina also confirmed the unproven Walker story. Right. You know, how many how many times did she say the wrong thing over and over? And, you know, some people want to give Marina a pass, saying that she was under the pressure of the government, but I'm sorry, that just doesn't wash with everything she said. The pressure of the government can make you sure, go along with their story. But she said stuff like, you know, I believe the government, they're right, my husband was guilty. Right. That's, you know, if you love him, you're sealing his fate. Yeah, most definitely. Well, his fate was already sealed at that point, but... Yeah, but I mean, in public opinion. Right. And everybody doesn't seem to realize the fact that everyone has their own motivation. That it, you know, Marina went through a lot, and she suffered, and I'm sure so did the children, and they still are suffering from people like Judith Faker, mm-hmm. who make their lives hard. But Marina also benefited. Marina got quite a bit of money from people who felt that. Yes, she you know, did. Marina was given a lot of help. So, I, I, and because of all of her contrary statements, I, I'm not inclined to believe she's a reliable witness. I, and when I come across a witness like that, I then stack them up against the evidence, and what stacks with the evidence, I'll believe. But if there's no evidence for it, why should I believe what they say? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, a lot of what Marina says, and even, even to this day, it, you know, some things are very, very hard to buy that, that she says. And you know, I can't understand how somebody that's been in the country for, what, over 40 years now, 
fifty years. Can't speak English better than she can. I mean, seriously, what the hell is going on with that? Well, it'll be an affectation. Maybe she just uses it for, you know, she wants to sound different still. Oh, my God. I mean, it sounds like she just got off the boat. Or, yeah, or she's one of the people who doesn't want to assimilate. <laughs> Which could be true. <clears throat> I mean, she probably lived a relative life of hermitage with uh, Ken Porter. Um, back to my, uh, this document about Mexico City for a minute. Sorry about the departure. Oh, it's all right. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, now, we know David Atlee Phillips was, was he, uh, head of uh, Western Hemisphere Covert Operations? Uh, eventually. I don't think at the time he was. He eventually became that. Uh, I think he was just working in Mexico City uh, under Winston Scott at the time. And Winston Scott was the station chief? Yeah, he was station chief. Yeah, now I had heard another story, which I'll throw out there, um, that Oswald went to Mexico. Immediately after arriving in Mexico, boarded a plane to Ontario, Canada for what, three days and then turned around and came back. And while he was gone, this is when all these impersonations were taking place and the setup was taking place. Because I, I tell you what <clears throat> I find hard to get by, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, Passport to Assassination. Okay, well, it's written by, and I, I can't for the life of me remember the, the guy, I want to say, not Yuri Nisenko, but something to that effect. It was a, it was a guy that was working in the uh, in the Russian embassy in Mexico at the time, and he actually wrote a book about his experiences with an Oswald oh, in okay. in Mexico. I mean, to the point where he was even relating the tale of Oswald coming into the Russian embassy, um, pretty much breaking down and begging, you know, to get back to Russia. To the point where he was so distraught, he mentioned killing Kennedy. He pulled a gun out and threatened to shoot himself. And it's, you know, it's it's just a, a weird, wild story. I mean, who 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 knows what to believe if you can believe it? I mean, it was written by. In, in my opinion, I don't. You know, I haven't read the book. It, it sounds a little bit to me unbelievable. I'm not saying I, I think Oswald definitely thought he was smarter than he was. Right. But I don't think he was dumb enough to do that. No, no, I don't either. And of course, this book came out around the same time as the movie JFK. You know, where when a lot of books did, you know, just in order to cash in on the whole spectacle that was the JFK assassination. So it's hard to say. Yeah. No, I just I, I'm always, as you know, I'm. <laughs> People might start calling me Mr. Salt because I take everything with a grain of salt. I don't, I don't care who the hell the witness is. I don't care what the official title is. Unless you got evidence, I'm not going to wholesale buy anything. Exactly. And I will point our listeners um, over to ctka.net. And a guy I'm gonna that I had on the show last week, David Josephs. He, he is in the process of writing a very extensive, I think it's six or seven piece article on Oswald in Mexico. 
and and Carmine, like you and me, uh, DJ is a document guy, and he does a really good job of, of analyzing all the available evidence, um, digging out little nuggets out of these documents, and, and presenting a, a very plausible scenario that Oswald never even did go to Mexico. Um, so I would point, point everybody there and check it out. And in the future, um, he's actually putting it all together into a book. And I'm going to have him back on the show to talk about his book when, when he does get that uh, all done. But sorry for the aside there. I'm just... No, no, no problem. Hey, I'm always happy to hear other researchers using documents and getting involved. That's... We need more of that. There's not enough. You know, there's a lot of people who, like I said, when I was younger, I believed in the movie. But if you look at the evidence, the movie falls apart just like the commission does. You know, neither, no one is exactly who a lot of people think they are. We're all good and bad. We all make mistakes. You know, you can find some integrity in people when they're willing to correct their mistakes and they're willing to accept other people's ideas. Right. It's those ones that, you know, say that they are right no matter what. Exactly, and I feel the same way. Cause I, dude, I'm I'm wrong about shit all the time. (laughs) And how many typographical errors I make? That's the funniest thing about people is when they find a typographical mistake. I've been debating. They're like, "Well, you made a typographical error. I'll go and I'll correct it. I'll say thank you." And they don't know what to do. Grammar (laughs) Nazis. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody has their own idea or opinions about this case and, and what they believe happened, you know, based on, you know, what they've learned about the case. And, of course, we're all at different levels at different times. And one of the big problems with, you know, looking at a case this old and this shrouded in secrecy and this covered up, you know, it's very, very hard to dig the truth out of all this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's going to take a lot of it. You know, I, I don't think people who think that they're going to be the one to solve it need to get over that delusion. That's not going to happen. No right. one person will solve this. No, it's going to be a team effort. And, and like I refer to, refer to things as puzzle pieces. You know, it's just a piece of the puzzle that we haven't solved yet. You know, when you find something out that that disagrees with something that maybe you thought previously held merit, then you have to reassess your whole idea and opinion about what happened. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're in the wrong business, you know? Then you should buy Judith Baker's book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, read the book. Buy the book. Read the book. Buy the book. Well, that's the problem. When you ask her for documents and evidence, Carmine, she doesn't have any. Yeah, it didn't work out. Well, what's funny about that whole, you know, with all of them, it's not just her, it's all of them that act like her. If you ask them for documents, and I asked nicely, a lot of people did, and they've been asking for 15 years. Exactly. And And they get treated as I was, but I'm not going to go away. She can't offend me. They can't make me mad. So, you know, everyone might as well just start being more honest. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I like about you, because 
you don't let them get to you, man. You know, you maintain your cool and, and keep prodding along. You know, just, hey, show me the evidence. Show me the documents. Exactly. You know, it's under the, they forget that we're all under uh, <clears throat> the weight of the evidence. That we all have to prove what we say. And if we don't, then why should anyone care? Exactly. Like, like I like to say, extraordinary claims require extraordinary, extraordinary evidence. They do. And, oh, well, uh, uh, a buddy of mine, Tim, put up uh, something that I changed my Facebook picture to, which says, I believe in evidence in big letters. Yeah, I saw that. I like that. <laughs> because why would you believe in anything else? You know, there's a lot of stories that I like more discussing about the document. There's a lot of stories that the CIA put out, and they're all not true because they don't have evidence. So why should we believe them? It, it applies both ways. Why should we believe people in the community if they have grand tales and they have no evidence? Right. Well, and a lot of these people out there are not researchers. They are followers. They are sales. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's just I, I, I haven't quite figured out the problem yet with, with these people, but <clears throat> you know, a lot of them just have a casual interest in the assassination, and they're not researchers. You know, they they like things to be tied in a nice, neat little bow, and and think that they've had that they've got it all figured out, and they attach themselves to these people that claim to be able to put a nice little bow on things and claim to have figured it all out, and you know, like people like Marty Eichler and 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 all these. Little lap dogs that that, that all. Oh, you, I, I can name a bunch off the top of my head if you want me to. Yes, <laughs> please do. Linda Belcher, Phoebe Moody. <laughs> oh, wherever Judith shows up, they're not far behind. Yeah, well, let's see. I blocked Marty, and I think the other two. Well, I know Phoebe blocked me. She blocked me. I got lucky. <laughs> yeah. It's always nicer when they'll just block you and get it over with. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, hang on, there's more. <laughs> oh, uh, Richard Charnin, another one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a, he's a real peach. Richard and his list of unproven deaths. Well, yeah, there's another Oswald Innocence campaign devotee. Ugh. He's got the you same know, personality nice as Ralph. Yeah, there's something know where they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes it easier. I know. Don't get mad when you get called to the carpet, and uh, then all the, all they've got left is insults. Yeah, yeah and, and they're a victim. You know, did you notice, I, I enjoyed the timing of, as Baker got more exposed by different people in the community, for both sides, I might add, which is important, because it's not just the people who believe in conspiracy, it's the people opposed to it, too. We all agree on this. Yeah, that was a nice come-together moment, wasn't it? Conspiracy, and there are those of us who oppose it. But people like Baker 
are the problem in all of them. Exactly. So, and let me just point out also, <clears throat> since we're on the subject of lone nuttery, um, you know, there are some guys out there who are willing to still do the research and still be open-minded enough to have a conversation and, you know, support what they say or what they believe. And, you know, a couple of the good guys, you know, you got Fred, James, Steve, Rowe, um, a bunch of those guys. What's that? I like Glenn Feichman. Yep. You know, we don't agree very often, but we can be respectful, and that's important. Right. You know, there's no need. I think a lot of people, it's, it's too many people personalize this case. And, you know, some people have said that I'm too icy about it, but I don't, I, I don't really try to make any sort of a personal attachment to anyone in the case, whether it's John F. Kennedy or whether it's Oswald, because that's going to, that's going to color your perception. It's going to mess up your research. You know, yeah, you're right about that. Leave that aside. That's not for research. For research, it's just the evidence. Try to be unbiased. Try to present it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was, I was, I'm, I'm playing and toying with the idea of asking one of them guys to come on with me, to come on wow. the show, and, uh, have, you know, have a civil conversation about things. Because I want to dive into, I want to dive into one of their brains and, and see, why they really believe what they believe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, hey, it could work. I don't know. I, I, more power to you if you can get it to work. I, first of all, I don't know if they'd come on. <laughs> if they did, reasonable conversation, come on, you're being nice. <laughs> uh, I, wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be an asshole for no reason. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Just... Well, no, I don't think we should be. I, I've tried to, like I said, I went in originally with Baker Nice. I just said, you know, I have questions. And I asked, and it wasn't five minutes before I had been called vulgarity, and among other things. Oh, yeah. That's commonplace. Yeah. With oh, the yeah. frogs. St standard operating procedure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I put off doing that episode about her for a, a while. Um, I had originally written a blog post about it a couple of years ago, and I panicked when we, when we got invited to that conference. And because as it was drawing closer and closer, I saw the lineup of the conference, and I'm like, "Oh shit, this is going to be one of those nut conferences." And I mean, you know, because the names, you know, Peter Janney, um, Phil Nelson, Ed Tatro, Judy Baker, you know, the list goes on and on. I'm just like, "Oh no, I picked the wrong one to go to," because. The other one, the eight, the art conference, was going on the same time, same weekend, about thirty miles apart, and you know they had all the the good guests, but apparently, from what a lot of people say that went there, it was very shoddily run and agenda driven. So I don't know. I, I guess it's you know. Well, unfortunately, I think politics on all sides takes up too much of our time. Right. It's like, it's not, it's not as bad as the troll squad, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I panicked and I deleted <laughs> I deleted that blog post about her because I didn't want to show up there and be like, because we were showing up kind of like the press. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we, had a, we had an agreement, you know, with, with, with the, the guys running the conference, you know, to, to cover it and uh, 
you know, get it out on social media and promote it and all that. So I didn't want to piss anybody off, and I didn't, you know, I was there as media, not as a as a regular Joe. Yeah, that's a smart thing. Media, you were being unbiased. Right. No so, one that you're going to have to interview. Right. But unfortunately, this is a very opinionated podcast, and uh, so I had to keep my mouth shut. You know, even talking to Judy Baker and and this and that, and it was just it was a rough weekend, man. Let me tell you. Yeah, and not just having to sit there and listen to it? Yeah. That's, yeah. For hours, dude. Yeah, hours after. I mean, there were some good speakers. Don't get me wrong. Like, Bill Simpich was great. You know, I love listening to him. And uh, Brian Edwards and Casey Quinlan were good. You know, with a lot of these, LBJ did it, guys. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, a lot of it was a chock full of a lot of these LBJ did it, guys, you know. That's another unfortunate, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Myth. A canard. Another canard. <laughs> yeah. An, an unfortunate thing that has hung around the neck of this case. I mean, we could go on forever about that. Why? I, I loved your podcast on it, the one you did recently. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sorry, LBJ is a very unlikely suspect, no matter what Bob McCullough and others like that. And like unlikely, uh, spurred on by a Dave Sharp comment. <laughs> I actually gave him credit. You know what? Dave did some good then. <laughs> exactly. I quoted his uh his post about you know when LBJ was thinking about quitting, you know, eight months into the presidency. Yep. Yeah. So thanks, Dave. Good job, Dave. Yeah, good for something. <laughs> <laughs> you contributed before you left. Yeah, you were showing the door, sir. All right, Carmine, let's get to the second document we have here, which is a supplementary Dallas police offense report on J.D. Tippett. The important thing is the change time of death. The two times are noted. The original is 109. The second is 115. Uh, both do not work for the commission timeline. Now, Carmine, when I first looked at this document, did they type 115 right over 109? or That's what it looked like to me. Now, the timing, the timing is another thing that I have a huge problem with. From the moment of the assassination to everything attributed to Oswald doing to getting back to his... Uh, rooming house to him leaving the rooming house and getting to where the scene of the J.D. Tippett murder is, it just doesn't work. Especially if it's 109. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's 115, that's, that's sorry. Yeah, I mean that's pushing it, but being pronounced dead if he's already been shot. He's being pronounced dead at 115 or 109, which now the ambulance ride subtracts more time. Right, and I mean, I try to picture it in my head, you know, how this goes down, okay, when the ambulance pulls up on the scene, I mean, I'm just wondering if they, 
do any preliminary checks? Do they work on him there a little bit, or did they just throw in one of us? Sorry, I was, was going to say, you would think at least a minute was spent doing that. It's going to take a minute to pick him up and put him on the stretcher, throw him in the car, drive away. Right. And then you've got the entire trip to the hospital then. Right. I mean, but you'd think that they would wait, especially with firearms laying around, till the cops showed up. To take him away, you know what I'm saying? Otherwise, yeah, you have like ten, ten witnesses. Yeah, they're playing around in the cop car, and, and there's guns laying everywhere. I don't know. Well, I, have a friend, I have a friend who's a paramedic, so I can ask him if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if, if if the paramedics are first on the scene, I mean, of course, I don't know how it was back then. If when a call was placed in, if if everybody got it at the same time, like the cops and the paramedics both received the call at the same time, or one was dispatched before the other, or who got there first, but it's, the way it's, the way I've always thought of it is, you know, the, the, the ambulance got there first, and took Tippett away before the cops even showed up. Yeah, that would be my assumption, because it, how did they get him there at that time if they weren't Johnny on the spot? That's another question. How, where were they? Right. Were they parked on the street? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> there was another cop car around, but, uh, shit, who knows? Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, people will say, well, well then what does this prove? It, it's not that it doesn't, it doesn't prove that there was a conspiracy. It proves the commission was wrong, again. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, realistically, Tippett was dead on the scene. Yeah. You know, with three gunshot wounds to the chest and one to the head, he's dead. You know, pretty much. So you think... At that point, it becomes a crime scene, you know, where they wouldn't move the body until the police showed up and, you know, taped it off and did a little investigating and as far as to where it was what and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and in the document, too, it says, at 109 or 116, take your pick, Dr. Paul Mellenhoff, or, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Richard McCory pronounced him dead. So he didn't just have to get to the hospital. He had to be brought to the coroner. The coroner had to look at him and then pronounce him dead. Right. Which takes a while. Yeah, Yeah, which definitely takes a while, you know, even... So, yeah, I I mean, the whole timing of of that whole scenario there always bothered me. And I actually... um, And we're... To pull back the curtain a little bit, we're, we're recording this a little early, and nobody's heard the David Joseph's podcast yet. But we did get it. Did we did get into that last week about the whole timing of the bus ride and, and getting to the tippet scene and the murder and all that. So if you missed that, people go back and listen to it. And yeah, I mean, that's the whole problem with the commission's entire timeline is it's possible, it's not probable. <laughs> right. Anything I don't even know if it's possible. possible. But it's possible, you know. And you gotta, um, you gotta understand. In my opinion, you gotta understand too that the commission was not the original plan. The original plan was two FBI reports: one on JFK, one on Oswald. The end. That was what was supposed to happen. The commission didn't happen until Katzenbach, some say at the behest of RFK, mentioned that they should put a commission together. Who right. didn't want a commission? <laughs> no, I'm sure Johnson didn't want one either. And nobody wanted to be on the damn thing either. Exactly. Because they 
can't say in my opinion. This is what I've seen in the evidence. It wasn't a matter of them wanting to prove something because it wasn't criminal standards. They used a preponderance of evidence. So it was it was what evidence that, you know, the most of the evidence stated. But it was only the evidence they were allowed to see. Exactly. So if they weren't allowed to see it, how could they know? Right. We all know about the scenario where, you know, Johnson calls Earl Warren into his office and tells him that, you know, we're on the brink of World War Three here. And, yeah, you know, it, 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 this cannot be blamed on a conspiracy with the Soviets or Cuba or anything of that nature, you know. And he walks out of the office in tears. Yeah. I mean, if, if he was... The whole thing people seem to forget is one he was in the shooting gallery. <laughs> right. If there, could be, if there could be a miss, then there could be a hit on Johnson or anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, it still surprises me to this day that that Jackie or, or somebody else in that car wasn't hit. I mean, other than Connolly and Kennedy. But... You know, one one straight bullet, man. It's a it's a whole different ball game. You know what I mean? Yeah, which which makes me think that it was precision shooter, which means it wasn't Oswald because he had no practice. <laughs> right. And if you if if people think it was Oswald, you have to remember that he supposedly missed a shot, which means he was way off, which means he could have hit somebody else in that limo, no problem. Yeah. Of course, you know, if they were shooting from another location, that might explain it. <laughs> oh yeah. And if there's more than one shooter, that might explain it, too. <laughs> Say no more. Say no more. All right, Carmine, let's move on to the third one here. And something that I, I talked recently with Russ LaChapelle about, and that was the events going on at Parkland. And this particular document is, of course, from the ARRB file, and it pertains to the testimony of Nurse Patricia Hutton. Um, some things included in this document states um, that JFK was bleeding profusely from a wound on the back of his head, quotes, and she additionally states that she observed the arrival and people put him on the cart, and this infers observed his entire head prior to any medical procedures, unlike some inside the hospital. And this makes the wound problematic for the commission claims, and she states because of the massive opening in the back of the head. Now, as as most JFK researchers know, it's it's uh, pretty much common knowledge that almost everyone at Parkland Hospital observed this wound to the back of JFK's head that myst mystically disappears when it gets to uh, Bethesda. But here we have a document from a nurse. Stating plain as day. Yeah, go ahead. The day of. Yeah, the day of. This just happened. Okay, the, the FBI and, and, the, and the CIA didn't have a chance to get to this woman and tell her what to say yet. This just happened. Yeah, so, I mean, it, I think it's pretty clear what she says, and it's corroborated by most of Parkland. And if you look, a lot of people think that Bethesda supports the commission. It doesn't. If you look at Bethesda, you've got Fink and Humes both disagreeing with the SBT because of the wounds that were inflicted. You've got Eversall saying that there was a wound in the back of the head and even adding that there was a sewn-up wound in the throat, which nobody saw, so that might have just been his ideas. But he 
does confirm the back of the head wound. You've got Stringer, who is the photography guy, saying that they made two sets, which they did, which is why the photographic record is all screwed up, because the, because Anacosta made a version, and the White House made a version. So we don't know what pictures got mixed into the, the, the archives. Right. And, you know, it was, a, it was a, as Chuck O'Charlie called it, a cluster F. <laughs> yeah. That, that's right. It was. I mean, and, and that's if even they are all not altered, which I'm not convinced that they're not. Um, oh, yeah, no, I agree. There's, you know, and there's, there's some missing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if, here, my question, though, has always been to our government. So if you're listening, boys, please write this down. Well, I'm sure they are. <laughs> How is it that they can keep millions of files straight for tax purposes, but they can't keep one murder case's files straight? One important murder case of the president of the United the States. <laughs> and they it's lost his the brain. The they lost his damn brain. Yeah. Or it was put in his coffin. Who knows? You know, I mean, it's not yeah. like they were keeping track. <laughs> yeah, it was put in his coffin and sunk to the bottom of the ocean, among other shit, I'm sure. Yeah, it's. It's. that, And that's the thing, is that for. As, strong of a case that some people like to say the commission had, they did, they had a circumstantial one at best that would have never made it into criminal court if you look at all of the broken chain of custody. I mean, right. there isn't, a, a, there are very few physical exhibits that don't have a problem of some sort. Exactly. It, up, up to and including um, the rifle, you know, and fingerprints and nitrate tests and eyewitnesses. Yeah, yeah. And put them in his pocket, throw them back on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it's just horrible. I mean, the whole thing was, was jacked up to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was just a bad. I, I think uh, another book, uh, I don't usually recommend many author books, but in my opinion, two of the better ones are Gail Nix Jackson's The Missing Nix Film and Sherry Feister's Enemy of the Truth. Sherry Feister, I am a big fan of because she's a CSI expert. That's something we sorely have needed in the community, and her her work on that is great. It just it lays out like a trajectory. You know, I, in my book, I'm definitely going to be referring to her her work on the trajectory. The commission set up with a trajectory from the the depository from the right. beginning. Right. They didn't check anything else. They they said, okay, here's the single bullet theory. This is the trajectory we need. They didn't use the same car. They used guys that look like them. You know, they, it was their best guess. That's all it was. Exactly. Now, <clears throat> I will say that, and I do have uh, Feature's book. I've read it. And one problem I have with her conclusions is that it's based on... Much of it is based on, I will say, um, the Zapruder films and blood yeah, splatter. Right. But she, she was, she's talking about blood splatter analysis and this, that, and the other. And if we can't rely on the Zapruder film to, to be authentic and not tampered with, then. Well, I agree that it's possible the film could be tampered with. If you look, one of the things she discusses in the book, and I actually went and did a little bit of my own side research because as much as I like people, I still check. 
Right. Uh, you can go, and, you know, you can go on Google and check it out for yourself. I, I would advise everyone to do that with every book, no matter who writes it. But um, it talks about how the photographic abilities at the time were not there, and you can look for, as far as, you know, they could have altered it in time, but they couldn't have altered, like, when people say they painted on stuff, it would show up under modern technology. And it I'm not an expert, so I don't know exactly how the process would occur. But if someone were to subject the entire Zapruder film, at least to the earliest copy, which is there might be alterations. I don't, I don't disagree. There could be alterations, but in that one frame, thus far, anyway, no one has proven there were alterations. Right. So I'll tell you this, Carmine, it's coming, and I've seen it with my own two eyes. And I wouldn't tell you this unless I've seen it with my own two eyes. Um, at that conference I was telling you about, there's a couple there from Hollywood working on a 4K scan of the Zapruder film that they obtained an extant copy from the archives. And, <clears throat> dude, I will tell you this. When it's magnified and cleared up that much to a 4K scan, you can see, without a shadow of a doubt, the painted-in section in the back of his head there's, uh, oh, yeah. you know, there, it wouldn't be hard to paint green over the grass area, you know, to uh, mi minimize or nullify uh, the splatter effect, you know. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have no doubt that there's going to be problems with it once finally, once we get, and, you know, it might even take more technology development, but no more than 10 years or less. You know, I mean, and maybe these people will pull it off. I hope they do. No, I think that's a big question. That's I think a lot of people get stuck on the films, the picture, and I understand that the film is important as far as you know the timing of the assassination and, for instance, what Sherry Feister did. With you know, a lot of people have used it for useful things, right? But let, let's say we prove it's fake, right? What does that really prove? <laughs> right. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying the whole thing's fake. Just, just there was portions, maybe. Uh, Maybe frames removed, maybe yeah, no, um, little no, things was, painted I, in or painted out. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I agree with you there. I, I definitely think there's, there, it is not unreasonable to think they altered it. They altered documents. They altered testimony. Why the hell would they alter that? Right. I, I definitely agree. There's probably portions. I was just the only, uh, you know, and I've been in a debate about this. The only thing I'm saying thus far is I have no reason to doubt 133 as well. The right. rest of it could be. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that. That it's not. Exactly. Or or the footage of his uh his was it his friend's daughter at the marching yeah. band. I think that's real. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So we've got one maybe four friends. <laughs> I'm willing to stand behind four friends. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's yeah. get into uh, number four, which kind of ties into number five a little bit. But um, the next one we're going to talk about is an HSCA FBI subject file on Mr. David Ferry. Uh, it details Ferry attempting to create a teenage sex ring for his use and indoctrination into a cult philosophy called Omnipotent. Um, 
This may explain Garrison's problems and why he believed the homosexual cult was involved in the JFK assassination. Can you tell us a little bit about this odd document that I've never heard of before in relation to David Ferry and a sex cult? I assume with CAP and other civic groups to try to lure uh, 20-year-olds and 19-year-olds who would then go out and seek 15 and 14-year-olds uh-huh. to try to indoctrinate them. Huh? I just said, oh, okay. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. To indoctrinate them into omnipotent, which I think is a very double entendre. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So he had this cult, and he decided he was going to set up this, basically a sex ring for his use, using the title Dr. Barry, which is just another reason why I'm not a fan of titles. No. Because uh, he was far from anything from being a doctor, that's for sure. Yeah. So he, he basically was setting this up, and I believe, I think that the evidence supports that Harrison may have been misled about the homosexual sex ring that was being in on the JFK assassination because of this information about Ferry. Because Ferry was connected to viable people, maybe this got mixed in and unfortunately misled Garrison. And that's quite possible. Um, I know Garrison wasn't too hip on using the uh, anybody related or I guess exploiting anybody's homosexuality or drug use. He didn't want to rely on that when it came to his case, but it definitely interested him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, I was surprised to come across this too. I knew that Ferry had definite issues with, with, you know, pedophilia and other stuff like that. But another one I came across too was where he snuck into a medical uh, facility trying to get one of the boys that he had done something to to be quiet, like trying to talk him into being quiet. But I thought David Ferry was such a good guy, Judy Baker told us. Well, apparently she missed this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no wonder he yeah. was, no wonder he wasn't interested in her. Yeah, yeah, he was David. David Ferry, in my humble opinion, was a scumbag. <laughs> he definitely sounds like it. I mean, uh, well, uh, you know, I mean. And this, you know, unless we have evidence otherwise, why should we believe otherwise? Right. Well, everybody should also know, you know, that he lost his job with Eastern Airlines because of that allegations of, you know, having sex with a minor. So it's not too far out of the realm of possibility. No, when all the evidence stacks up in one way, how else are we supposed to see it? Uh, another part from this, uh, another uh, something that might make people's stomachs turn is this report comes from one of the mothers of the boys. and. Her son was in Scout Troop number 57. He's digging down that far, huh? Yeah. So, which, as we know, in the Boy Scouts, that isn't out of the realm of possibility, considering recent history. Right. So everybody out there that loves Judith Baker's new book, David Ferry, and thinks it's all full of happy connotations and good times. You might want to read this document. Yeah, you know your your opinion of David Ferry might change as as you know just being a jovial good guy who liked to joke around a little bit at times. 
uh, to something a little bit more sinister and serious. Right, don't forget Clay Shaw's, you know, chips, dips, chains, and whips, and dildos they pulled out of his apartment. Well, I, I have a feeling, too, that Shaw, unfortunately, was part of the trail. I think that Shaw, even less, like Ferry, I think Garrison was right about. I think that if he wasn't connected to a plot, he at least knew of a lot of people who were potentials. Because he represented Marcella with Bannister, because... He uh, associated with Shaw. You know, Ferry had a lot of possibles around him. So Garrison chose Shaw, and unfortunately that wasn't the one to go with. Exactly. And that's not to say that, you know, Shaw and Ferry didn't have anything to do with the assassination or setting anybody up or planning anything, but, you know, Garrison was kind of... It wouldn't work, unfortunately. Right. He didn't have much choice left at that point. Uh, with Ferry being dead and, uh, you know, many more options at that point. He did what he could do with what he had. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. Well, that's why I respect him, though. I mean, I don't... A lot of people get mad at me when I say that he made mistakes and he had some bad ideas and stuff like that, but it's true. But the guy had balls, man. He got on national television for half an hour and talked about how corrupt the media and the government was and the CIA... And how they're lying to everybody, and you know all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was crazy what what they got away with back then. Yeah, but but you know, I mean, what we have to remember is all people involved in this case, like I said earlier about whether it's Kennedy or Oswald, they're all human. They all made mistakes. You know, they all did bad things in their lives. They all did good. Right, and that's that's human nature, you know. Yeah, okay. and I'm, with Garrison, I respect it, like you said. He did more. For a lone prosecutor, he did more than the commission ever did. <laughs> exactly. You know, and you can't discount other testimony as well, you know, putting all these guys together, you know, like Perry Russo, uh, Thomas Beckham, you know, all yeah, these... Yeah, no, I think they were together. I just don't think that they had the power themselves, you know what I mean? Right. I think maybe their ideas could have gotten to other people that they were connected with. Oh, most definitely. I just don't think that Shaw or Ferry was any integral part. No, I, I think Bannister was more involved than than either one of them. Well, he was ex-FBI and he was a CIA informant. So. <laughs> yeah, and he was he he was Hoover's uh, he was Hoover's guy still in New Orleans when you know, he's out in these commies and and uh, doing all his uh, anti-Castro Cuban stuff down there with him. I mean, he was. He was part of the, uh, I guess you'd call it kind of an underground uh, expressway of, of getting, you know, guns and, and medical supplies to, to the Cubans and uh, the freedom fighters and, and guerrillas and training um, some of these anti-Castro Cubans to go back and fight. And well, I, know, I was going to say, I know for sure that, uh, like you said earlier, he was working with Sergio Acacia Smith because... I've got one document that talks about how Bannister set up uh, a, you know, I'm not going to say it's a front. <laughs> it could have been. I have a feeling. <laughs> it was another Cuban group, though, of the dozens that exist. Yeah, the Democratic so Revolutionary Front. Set up one. Yeah. It was just, you know, to make, Arcacha Smith is another interesting character because I think he was committed in some ways, but he also wanted to make some money. Oh, yeah. So, 
that, you know, he was using the CIA money for other things besides what they wanted him to use it for. Oh, most definitely. You know, and, and a lot of that stuff, you know, ties in with what these extreme right-wingers they were tied to were doing. Um, like the Interpen guys running, running, actually the ones running and picking up uh, some of the weapons and, and uh, supplies and drugs and raising money. And they all tie together, you know. Well, that, uh, like, uh, Sturgis. Sturgis, to me, is interesting because... Sturgis originally was in the Cuban army on Castro's side. Right. But supposedly working so, for us. Well, that happened after. Uh, well, I mean, he might have worked for us before. I haven't uh, found anything back from the 50s on him. But the stuff from, from well, I should say 59 and nothing from earlier. But from 59, he worked, uh, he was in the Cuban army. And it just so happens he was the manager of gambling at the Tropicana when Jack Ruby was there on a vacation with McWillie, while Jake Lansky was there, while Meyer Lansky was there. Yep. It all kind of ties together in a weird-ass way, and that's the... There's just so much going on in this case, man. So much. And it's so hard to tie it all together. In a feasible, cohesive, comprehensible way. Definitely. It's, and that's why I said it's going to be a team effort. There's not going to be one person that solves all this. Exactly. There's so many different aspects. And I, w- I was talking to uh, Stephen Duffy, another uh, about how I think a lot of times some officials might have set it up that we would always be putting the right pieces in the wrong puzzles. And that's why I'm glad I w- uh, was able to discuss with other researchers and basically cut down Oswald's timeline to 72 hours or less. Because right. all that stuff before now could be a bunch of other plots. It doesn't necessarily have to be connected directly to the assassination. Oh, most definitely. You know, it's 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 so hard to parse out um, you know, all these interconnected plots and interconnected agendas and um, interconnected figures. You know? Because yeah. a lot you know, even even people with mafia ties back then were a lot of times contracted by the CIA to do to do work. Um, and just because you're a, a CIA asset doesn't I mean they have plausible deniability when it comes to you if you're an asset because you're not a direct CIA employee. And, you know they they had very few of those, but they used to employ the services of uh, a ton of people as assets. Um, well. Right, and for all we know, could, you know, Marcelo could have been involved as well. Yeah. You know, with his ties yeah, to G. Well, Ray Gill well, and Terry. Yeah. All That's right, Carl. No, I agree with you. That's where all the the convergences are. What I think are most important, where everything joins. And the opportunities, like uh, something a lot of people don't know is in 61, Meyer Lansky contacted Anthony Verona and talked to him about wanting to help get Castro out of power. So there's a lot of people that it's, you know, I think that in the book, I'm, you know, I'm uh, probably going to list three separate possible. I'm not going to say, I think a mistake a lot of people make in their books is saying they know how it happened because they don't. If they knew how it happened, they'd have so much evidence, and we wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> exactly. 
So I'm going to put three different possible scenarios that are feasible based on the evidence, rather than try to you know marry myself to one idea as some of these people do, despite the new evidence. I mean, we're always going to have to change our ideas, like you said earlier. We have to adjust to the new evidence. And the problem with a lot of it is there's no paper trail. You know, when you're talking about CIA assets and and uh, backdoor plots, you know, a lot of this stuff is off the books. It's it's not going to be in a CIA document released in two years and give us all the answers. You know, it's... You really think they're going to release them in two years? I think they'll give us something. I, I don't know yeah. if it's going to be worth anything or not, but I think they'll... I think they're going to have to do something because, you know, with the work that Jefferson Morley's been doing and, and several other people, um, I think they're going to have to give us something. Well, I definitely, I definitely support all of Jefferson also commend him on his recent Bill O'Reilly work, because I was very happy to see uh, the truth coming through. Yeah, I had heard about this before, a couple years ago, but that was the first time I'd actually heard the audio, which is, as you say, the proof. Yeah. I mean, he said it himself. Bill yeah. lied. <laughs> yeah. You know, or should I say, sorry, let me retract that. He didn't lie. He made a mythical statement that is highly unproven. <laughs> right, and, and to give him credit, Jim DiEugenio, I heard him talking about it years ago when Killing Kennedy first came out and he reviewed it. That was one thing that he voraciously pointed out, um, you know, that Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly claimed to be the reporter at the door and heard the gunshot when, when DeMore Shield killed himself. And he said that's you know, blatantly not true, you know, it's a lie, and we all know of the recent troubles with Brian Williams, and where his lies got him, now, now we're going to see if Bill O'Reilly, who has done a complete 180 on his stance on the JFK assassination, to please his keepers, if he is going to face the same consequences as, as Brian Williams, or worse, probably not. Yeah, probably if, not. If history is any lesson. Because <clears throat> he was actually doing good work back when he was on a current affair back in the 80s. You know, it was they had a lot of good pieces about the JFK assassination. Yeah, I've seen a couple. You know, and now his, his, his stupid book, Killing Kennedy, I mean, which is, I, I will say, is one of the worst, one of the worst books ever written on the Kennedy assassination. Um, <sighs> well, we know it's not credible. No. No, 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 no. His next book will be Killing Credibility. <laughs> Killing Bill O'Reilly. Oh, man. All right, Carmine, let's get to this last one here. Um, we have a CIA memo on concerns about the Garrison investigation that include uh, public support for what he's doing, uh, Intense on dispelling Garrison's claims and intense on discrediting both his inaccurate and accurate charges. Indeed. So the we CIA know. Was very concerned. Yes, yes, they were, and, it, and his office was infiltrated just about from every direction. Oh yeah, they put roadblocks similar to those we were discussing earlier. 
They put as many roadblocks in his path as possible. Well, most definitely. They, they had, even from his investigators um, to people working in his office, volunteers. Um, yeah, he he was getting it from all directions, and his they were trying to compromise his investigation for sure. And and unfortunately, in some aspects, they did. You know, they were able to at least convince enough of the public to not believe him to hurt his investigation to where he really could get his conviction on Shaw. Right, and one one uh, one that jumped out at me that I really wasn't fully aware of until I was talking to Adam Go rightly a couple weeks ago was the whole Harold Weisberg thing about Carrie Thornley and, and getting in touch with another researcher, Fred Newcomb, to get to get him to alter Thornley's appearance to resent more resemble Oswald to to you know pin Thornley as an Oswald double. Whether it could be used to discredit Garrison later, or, you know, whether Garrison wanted it done through Weisberg in order to pin Thornley's nuts to the wall, I don't know. That's that that whole thing was an unfortunate situation. I I still am a huge respecter of Harold Weisberg, and I was not happy by that about that. But you know, we have to. I you know, I talked to a couple people about the issue and. Know, if, it's, if there's evidence, there's evidence. So people can disagree all they like, but if we're going to be fair to everybody, then we've got to call out everybody on everything they do. Yep, and unfortunately, we've got uh, a letter from Weisberg to Newcomb, you know, telling him what to do and how he wanted it. So that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's yeah, there's not much uh, that can be said to dispute that. No, and Weisberg was one of the earliest critics to call other people out on their bullshit, you know? No. It's, you know, it's, and well, it's like, I don't want to use a movie line here, but um, I don't know, it's like I said, it's still troubling. It's troubling in all aspects, and I know I'm going to hear some flack for even saying that, but it is. You know, no matter who does it, it's troubling. Right, and it does nothing but add... Yeah, it does nothing but add more obfuscation to the facts and the truth. And we got enough of that shit from the other side. <laughs> you know. Exactly. We don't need any help. Thanks, Baker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Dave. Yep. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Ralph and Jim and other Richard. You know, you know what? The- if some of those people are not getting a government check, they should be. <laughs> Oh, I know. I'm just waiting for the for more of the Bush did it to come out. Yeah, I'm so tired. There are so many valid reasons not to like George Bush. I don't know why they have to make those up. Oh, I know. You know, I mean, just like LBJ, you know, sure. They're despicable human beings, no doubt. Yeah. But you've got to have documentation tie-in. You can't just say, well, because his boat was named whatever the hell it was. The Barbara Zapata, Jane. Yeah, Zapata and the Barbara, whatever the hell. You know, that he was involved in, well, this is his picture in Dealey Plaza when it really yeah, wasn't. Yeah, my, my whole thing with the Bush, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things about it, but the, the three biggest things, in my opinion, that are a problem with that whole idea is, one, in 1963, he was a nobody. 
He meant nothing. Right. His family was powerful, but he had no control in the CIA. His father was a senator. He was not a CIA higher-up. So why would they use him in a plot? If And once again, I don't think that it was any agency directly that did it. I don't think the CIA or the FBI or the NSA or anybody directly as an entire agency did it. I think it was a small plot. It could have had somebody from an agency involved. But chances are it was a rogue member at best. Or it might have been criminals. You know, there's a lot of variations to who it could have been, but I don't see... It's got to be small to get away with it. As, <laughs> for instance, uh, look at Baker and all of her minions. <laughs> they were a small group who tried a poorly conceived plot that failed. Right. You know, so, part of the problem with it, too, is, you know, when they, when they used Oswald, he, who... I believe, had previous prior connections with the CIA through his defection. At, at least he could have been a, you know, I'm not saying that this is true, but it, it's totally reasonable to imagine that he was an informant of some sort, or he was unwitting. He didn't know that they were using him. Right, well, I mean, that this, this the whole defection itself, with the, the sudden leaving of the military, and three days later he's on a freighter, you know, making his way through Europe. No problems, you know, staying in nice hotels in Finland, getting across the border. And of course, he never defected, actually. People just like to say that. Right, because we have CIA agents in, in the embassy over there who knew what day they couldn't accept his uh, his thing on, you know. Yeah, the guy he talked to, the, the head of the embassy. Yeah, Snyder. <laughs> Snyder. So, you know, just the whole thing was really slickly done. And, you know, now we have revelations that, and I was talking to Greg Parker about this uh, earlier, you know, about Operation Redskin, Operation Red Sox. And it was, you know, these operations designed to infiltrate the Iron Curtain, you know, which back then, you know, would have been ideal to do. And I, I think Oswald's mission was one of a, of a longer sort where his mission was to try to get get into Russia, stay in Russia for an extended period of time, get to know, um, you know, the customs, the locals, how they live, what they did, and uh, you know, stay for as long as he possibly could, or as long as he could possibly take it, and then get the hell out. You know, and can I give myself a quick plug? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I submitted the Redskin cryptonym to the Mary Farrell Foundation. I'm waiting on confirmation. Sweet. Um, I've got a cryptonym list. We can talk about it later whenever we talk about the page, but I know you've seen it. I'm yeah. hoping that it'll be a good reference for other researchers to use. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, it, I was, I'm still shocked that I came across so many. <laughs> I just happened to hit pay dirt going through the files. Oh, I know, that list you had was, was quite telling, <laughs> believe me. Well, you know, hey, if we're going to leave it in the paperwork, we might look at it. I mean, it, it, that even named QJ Wynn, didn't it? Okay. Yeah. Um, my favorite was that I got Hunt and uh, actually researcher Matthew Schofield, who did the great article on Thornley. He has a more extensive list um, that he's putting together of, of some of the code names of um, Phillips. But I, I got a couple of them, 
he's definitely the guy to talk to about Phillips, though. Uh, yeah, and I'll get you to send me send me this list again, and I'll, I'll put it up on the site too when, when we post the podcast, so people can actually take their time and dig through it. Because we're just going to hit, yeah. we're just going to cover the hits here. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, one of them was uh, Redwood, which is an information indicator for Soviet Russia. Red Coat, which is an accent indicator for Soviet East European Division. So basically the Iron Curtain country. Trafficant, who was Santos Traficante. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jay Mark, which was the umbrella cryptonym for Jay and Wave. Um, just looking for names everybody might know. Uh, Amnorm, who is Nino Diaz. Of, I believe, the Diaz Lands Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like you have to, like you have to do that, but you know that's what the CIA does, man. Everything's a secret. I'm sorry, you were saying? I said everything's a secret, even when they refer to themselves. You know. Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's the problem when you lie so much. (laughs) Exactly. Eventually, you're gonna get caught on them. Yeah, and I think you know Bill Sipich had had some good work on the defection as well. And his his thesis of, of uh, a lot of those documents being uh, part of a mole hunt. Oh, it's totally possible. I, I have a lot I, of those duplicate uh, documents. Yeah, I haven't read his, I haven't read any of it, but I, that seems totally plausible. I've heard he does a lot of good work, and you know, he's, I'm, I support most of the people at the Mary Farrell Foundation. As you know, I, I'm Mr. Salt, grain of salt. I don't believe everything everyone says from anywhere, but. I think that there's a lot, the Mary Farrell Foundation, I owe a lot to them because of the, you know, documents they make available, and I think that's a great resource for everyone to use, because with books, even my book, you know, I I hope people enjoy it, I aspire to make it a great book, but it is worth still looking at the documents yourself, no matter what book you've read. No one book, much like no one person, is going to solve this. That's right. So, look at the documents. Exactly. So, Carmine, when can we expect your book? I'm hoping as soon as possible. This year, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I want it originally, seriously. I mean, well, I'm doing it all from the ground up, so I'm learning as I go. And, you know, I I have a very shoestring budget, so it's just me and some volunteers. I know the feeling. Yeah, totally. Which is why I was glad, uh, you know, that we became friends and I talk to other good people online, you know, as, mu- as much as we have the roadblocks and the problems in our way, there are good people out there helping too. Oh, most definitely. So, and, and when your book does come out, I want you to come back on the show and we're going to get into it. Oh, I appreciate it. Definitely. And yeah, even if you want to talk about documents before then, oh. I'll always be able to find a, I've got about a thousand. <laughs> and so, I'm, I'm sure some more fun moments will pop up online, you know? Oh yeah. Surprise! Some of the one, another one of my favorites uh, that I talked a little bit about with uh, 
with uh, Chuck Rotelli is just the list of people who were involved in the Castro plots. I can't believe they didn't burn that. Where they just made a list, which includes Dulles. That's what originally got me onto his trail about him lying to the commission. Right. No, I mean, it's. It, they, people say that they wouldn't just leave all the plans. Yeah, they would. <laughs> yeah. Because they didn't know. <laughs> Most of them didn't realize that one day there were going to be people like us pouring over the piles. Right, we're their worst nightmare to ever come true. Well, Dulles was wrong. The American people do. Right. And, you know, they should have seen that coming. I mean, with as many acad academicians and, and uh, you know, just regular folks that have an idea that maybe we're being lied to by the government. Um, yeah. You know, wouldn't ever well, look into this. What's funny is, is you and I, how old are you? Forty-one. Okay, I'm thirty-seven. We weren't even around. No. You know, so I mean, they, they, the people that they thought were going to always believe them might have, but not us. <laughs> we, right. we had no invested, you know, belief in them. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the older crowd, you know, they didn't really hold the belief that their government was capable of lying to them. And, didn't want to either. Right. And our generation, you know, we've, we, seen we've seen too many things, man, in the I meantime, know. to uh, make us question the well, integrity of our own yeah, government. Just, yeah, just the last, look at the last 15 years. We've seen they allowed the housing market to be destroyed. They allowed the middle class to be compromised. They allowed the banks to get away with it. Yep. <laughs> And that's just, a, that's starters. Yeah, 9-11. Yeah, how many, how many screw-ups, like with 9-11, I'm, and I know I'm going to hear about this, but I'm going to be, I'll make this a, an exclusive for you. I do not support people like Fetzer or most anyone who says a lot of things about 9-11, and this is why. Because the documents are going to be hidden for at least 50 years, just like JFK. Right. So... Until we have them, we're just guessing. Exactly. Well, right now, it's like as if the Rowan Commission had just released its report. Exactly. And, that, and their report was full of shit as well. As you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but like I said, we, you know, we, we lived through, you know, Iran-Contra. We lived through them lying about going to war and the reasons for war. Yeah. You know, it's just more of the same. Yeah, we lived through the Clinton blow job. We lived through... Yeah. You know, we, we don't, you know, I'm sorry to say, but unless a politician earns your respect, there really is no reason to respect them. Right. And, and they did learn something back then, you know, because they had the invisible boogeyman, the communist, okay, which allowed the defense industry to keep on churning. You know, now, yeah. now it's shifted to a terrorist. Exactly. You know, the nameless, faceless enemy, you know, who could live next door to you. Who wants yeah. to kill you? You know that the moment the opportunity gets to them, you know they they will take it. New act, not same act, new name. Exactly, exactly. Well, Carmine, I think that's we'll wrap it up there, man. We're an hour and a half into this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, right, people have listened to the whole thing because you know there's a lot of good information here. Oh no, I'm very glad to have been here. Like I said, I'll, I'll be 
forward to talking again, and you know we can talk about whatever you want. We can go on similar subjects to these, or move on to whatever you want to talk about. Cool. All right, you want to plug your website real quick? People want to go check it out. Um, anyone that wants to check it out, uh, it's tpaak.com, t-p-a-a-k.com. Uh, the Facebook is facebook.com/slash/neepmg with a capital M-G at the end, or you can just Google my name. And uh, it should bring it up. Uh, it'll also be interviews like uh, this one, which I hope you all will listen to. And uh, I want to mention, once again, uh, both Gail Nix Jackson and Sherry Feister's books. Uh, also, if you get a chance, listen to some of Rob Clark's other podcasts. They're very good. I enjoyed the Punching Judy one quite immensely. <laughs> Thank you, Carmine. I concur. Those podcasts are pretty damn good. But, of course, I'm biased, you know, so... <laughs> Anyway, thank you, Carmine, so much for coming on the Lone Gummin Podcast on this, the 50th episode. I appreciate it, my friend. All right, Carmine, you hang on the line here. I'm going to talk us out. People, head over to the new website, tlgpodcast.com, for all the new episodes, new blog posts, there's a forum. Uh, we can discuss topics over there. That's where I'm sending you from now on. Still do check out 22november.wordpress.com for all other assassination-related things. That's it for this one, people. Thank you for joining me. This some bitches in the can up to the satellite beam down directly to your ears. This is Giveaway Rob Clark. Out. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. 
When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear Tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911, U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear Tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911, U.S. only.